Welcome to Unpeeled, where we peel back the layers to get to the core of the story. This is Shannon Peel, and I'm so glad that you decided to join us today. Hello, it's Shannon, and you're listening to Unpeeled. Thank you so much for joining me today as I sat down with Tim Bramwell, who career in the technology industry started with software to enable people to communicate utilizing technology and has spanned to today where we are using AI and bots to talk directly with technology in order to communicate what we want and need. So let's uh, join the conversation and find out more about this interesting industry and his experience going from the beginnings to today. And technology idea, a business. Yeah, so I've got I've got two businesses. One, mm-hmm. One's been around for a long time, and one, for since 2007, so it's like 12 years now. Sorry. Okay, let's talk about the first one, the one that's been around the longest. Yeah. Why did you start that one? Uh, we started that a bunch of years ago uh, for a lot of reasons. In order to answer that question, I have to go back a little further. Yeah, uh, everyone, everyone, everyone has to go back further. They always start out and then they go, oh, let me go back a little further first. Yeah. <laughs> I finished university in, in a discipline that was totally unrelated to technology. And um, in those days, you didn't really, unless you're a, pro, a computer programmer, you didn't really, and in fact, it's considered better not to have some kind of computer sciences degree to go into sales and marketing or some right. of the other more line of business types of, uh, environments for a tech company, right? So Well, yeah, because back then, if I remember, like, even when I was going through university in the early 90s, anyone that was in computer science, like in high school or university, yeah. they were very introverted people. They were very... They'd be like your math, math, mathematicians. Yeah, They're, they don't have the pers- they didn't have the personality to the be sales skills, yeah, and marketing. Exactly. Yeah. So when you handing in resume and they see computer science, yeah. Yeah. they're thinking, oh, I mean, there well, are people make assumptions and judgments based yeah. on a piece of paper, based yeah. on what your history is. Well, and the industry has matured, uh, and, and particularly the educational side of the industry mm-hmm. has matured a lot around that right now. So uh, in those days, you had an, you know MSCP or something from Microsoft or Cisco or whoever, right? And you're highly technical. Um, mm-hmm. So I ended up working for a small company here called Consumer Software, and CSI was bought by Microsoft. I ended up working for Microsoft for a period of time. Uh, CSI developed email. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So, uh, but it's a very different form of email than we have right now. It's all point to point, what we call post office based. So you have 500 people on a post office, and uh, post offices talk to each other, but you were linked to it. And th- this is all for corporations, right? Mm-hmm. So you going. We were going into large corporations that that needed a way of communicating and trying to educate them on how email worked and what the benefits of email would be, right? And so some of them would get it and some of them not. We were selling boxes through Software Spectrum and, and some of the other big retailers of the day, right? Packaged software, we, and so our, my job, I was working the retail sale in the US yeah. and Canada, right? So that, that was my focus. I was um, the person on that. And then we had, uh, I think, four or five other people who were selling directly into large enterprise. And we had another partner, or another person who was my partner who was handling international distribution. So I would just, roam around North America trying to convince resellers of all shapes and sizes and literally you know, one or two person companies right up to software spectrum and other companies that are no, probably not, I don't even know if they still exist or not. Do And then when Microsoft bought us, my role changed completely to uh, being a so-called evangelist, which basically um, 
responsible for going into very large organizations like for fortune 50 organizations in north america and then later in the uk um, in out of the reading office um, to educate the rolls royce or the u.s air force or whatever to how the email systems work and also to collect information from them to feed back into the product groups right so uh so i was very fortunate that in the at the time of the purchase microsoft sent all of us uh, all the non-technical people into a room for six months and just trained the hell out of us we could take whatever we wanted right but it had to be around email and they trained the hell out of us and so that was my conversion from a fairly non-technical person into you know i i knew a little bits around the fringes and so mm -hmm. on but but um I, I got a very uh very deep understanding of x400 x435 you know the, the protocols of the um odi stacks uh, all kinds of different things right um which i, I guess the computer science people get uh, uh understanding of right now but that's probably not their focus right so because it was all networking it was like how how things plug together and a very very high level view but it was really super that's exactly what i needed that's interesting because like nowadays everyone's like email is yeah ubiquitous yeah everybody has one. you yeah. know it's well it's old <laughs> it <laughs> is know? old. it's old it's old technology and even in the, at the day you know we knew that there were limitations to it, mm -hmm. but it was the best you know people had and you know, later on, I saw the company and modified some parts of email, but, um, but to do other things. But but there were there was a lot of activity going on around that, creating mm -hmm. API sets and so on, which everybody you know it, it's built into the system now, right? Nobody really um, really has a depth in depth level unless you're a Microsoft engineer. But in the day, you know, we were trying to we were trying because fax the fax was big, so we were trying to integrate fax into email, so you could send a fax and show up in email or vice versa. You know, those things are out there now. Those fax machines, like yeah, no people, yeah. Oh, I can't. I, I'll look at stories about fax machines. Those are, those are pretty much obsolete, and yet yeah. I remember when they came. Oh, no, in. not for government. Government, for, well, they rely on on the fax machines. So. You know what? If it wasn't for the fact that the post office is government based, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't yeah. know that it would look the same as it does today. Uh, but what is really interesting about your about that story is you were going around and trying to explain a product or concept that was brand new. Mm -hmm. yeah. We set up so we set up dummy post offices and we would send emails back and forth and we mm -hmm. had big screens and hey, hey I'm sending an email to you know Fred or George or so I I worked with the salespeople in in those offices right and so we'd have demos set up for the UK office right and there was, we would go we'd have interviews or meetings mm -hmm. for three four days whatever it is and we show off that that show it off to them and it was a big thing yeah everybody loved it you know it was a, they're it was trying a, to figure out how to implement it right it was mind blowing at the time for yeah. people yeah I remember when I was in high school the IBM was IBM was trying to create the internet for consumers yes and my high school was chosen as a beta oh cool all right thing all right, right. Yeah. so we were using we were dialing up to San Alto, uh, yeah, yeah. San Alto, California. Right. And there wasn't a lot of information. It was very abstract, just these abstracts. Yeah, okay. And if you wanted to get more information on a certain topic, you could go and find this article in this magazine. Yeah, right. It was, of course, we didn't have access to the magazine. Okay. Right, <laughs> right? right. so it was very limiting. Right. But they were trying to tell us how Windows was going to work. Oh, yeah. Wow, that goes back. Okay. Yeah, so they were explaining how Windows was going to work, and we did this project for them. Right. Where we all wrote an article about the town. Yes. And 
then they put it all together so that you just it would go from this link to this link okay. and come up. You can still find that online. Oh yeah, okay. And which is really surprising because <laughs> you know well, pretty much everything's online these days. Yeah, but you put you, it online, it's still there. Yeah, and this was eons ago. Yeah. But I remember my I was picked from my school to go to Kelowna. Now that was an hour and a half away at the time because mm -hmm. of the roads. And we had to go to Kelowna because we needed to go to BC Tel. Oh yeah. This was way before yeah, yeah, yeah. to do a video conference. Yeah. I'm in there in this boardroom looking at a screen, talking to people in San Alto, California, thinking, Wow, this is pretty cool. Yeah. This is Jetsons. Yeah, yeah. And now you can pick up your phone and do it. Yeah. <laughs> I know. So when you're talking about email, that's what I'm thinking. I'm like, wow, you go from something that was considered mind-blowing at one time and everybody was talking about, everybody mm. wanted a piece of it in mm. one way or another. Yeah. Like Microsoft was buying, bought your company, yeah. that kind of thing. Nowadays, everyone's chasing that next thing. Yeah, exactly. The industry is, and people... How can I say this? The software appears to be so easy to use these days that um, anyone can pick it up. There's a lot of people out there who are non-technical people who are trying to create up with a concept, right? Mm -hmm. And they're trying to match, find technical people who are um, developers who really, in most cases, don't have a vision. Now, there are a lot of good exceptions to that, but there are a lot of the engineers are very focused mm -hmm. on what it is they want to do. And so um, there is this merging process that's going on, but in, in the younger generation, like in the, in the sort of uh, under 25s right now, they're, they're so technology aware that they are coming up with concepts and they have friends who can sort of give them bits and pieces. Plus there's all this open source software and other types of software out there right now where you can get, you know, maybe not 100%, but enough of it, right? Or you can take it as a basis and reuse it mm -hmm. to, to build out on, right? And so you just need to know. Now, there are issues with that in terms of uh, languages because those uh, open source software are if they're built in different languages, they're hard to connect and link up. So this is, yeah, you're right. There's a, there is a, a, a merging process going on right now and has been for probably at least five years, maybe mm -hmm. even 10 years that I've noticed where there's a lot of people who, who have ideas and are able to implement them a lot faster and a, and a lot more with a lot more scalability than say I was or anybody was say 20 years ago. Yes. Right now, the downside to that is that if they don't, they have to have a good understanding of what the user wants, right? You can say what you want about Microsoft and Lotus and all the companies around it, but they always did really good user research, right? Uh, market research to mm -hmm. figure out what the, what the client was looking for. And there was always this, um, you know, we call a continuous or sort of lean agile approach where there's continuous updates, but there was a bit of that built into it, even though they probably didn't, or they didn't call it that at the time. Those are the processes, it's the back end processes of updating software and keeping that going because a lot of people have great ideas and I talk to them all the time and they have no idea they make it a business. So they've got a great idea of releasing something or producing something that does something, but they don't know how to take the next step to uh, providing customer support or technical support on that, raising capital around that, you know, staffing up the company, doing the marketing, putting marketing plan, yeah, all that kind of stuff, right? And so, uh, and that's what makes a business, right? Mm -hmm. It's not the, the technology by itself. And I think the VCs and, and the investment, investment people, especially in the last two years in Vancouver, I've noticed it, 
they're a lot more cautious about investing in a company without having a, that that infrastructure in there. And I was reading an article, um, I don't know, a couple months ago, uh, within the last three months anyway, around, and I think it's a US-based article, around how the VCs in the Silicon Valley and down mm -hmm. the South are starting to look to people who are, say, to over 40, 45 and, and up, who are interested in being a so-called entrepreneur who wants to start a business um, in the tech side um, and has some experience. They have yeah. some growth experience around how to manage the business or take it to the next step. And uh, they give preference to those people over the younger people mm -hmm. because they're realizing the younger people have great ideas and so on and really are in tune with um, a lot of their generation, but they're not in t not so much in tune with sort of the older generation who really have the money and are also going to be buying this thing as well, right? Yeah. So there... There, is, there is that amalgamation process, I think, that's going on right now. Well, I think you're right because when I look was going to ask you about BC because it was like they were throwing money at every young yeah, kid that ago, came yeah. out yeah. with an idea and these kids are just running spending the money like crazy because yeah. they didn't have a that clue they, yeah. how to create something or build something and a lot of times they would come up with an idea but there'd be no market research everyone thinks that it's all like shark tank mm -hmm. <laughs> you know we're going to come up with an yeah. idea we're going to build it to a certain point and then someone's going to come buy it and it'll all yeah, be good buy, yeah right and we're going to tire yeah, and we're going to retire and not have to work ever again. Yeah. And there are those stories, but they are few and far Very between. Very few, and fewer and fewer these days. Yeah, yeah. and unfortunately, um, there's a lot of young people chasing that. You know, every generation uh, goes through a, a learning process, yeah. right? And so, uh, you know, my generation, when I was younger, I went through it, but it was a different different uh, set of circumstances in the in the business world. The current generation is going through it. Um, you know, my grandfather's generation went through the same thing, although around different types of mm -hmm. quote-unquote technology, right? So, you know, I have children, and they are um, they are going through the same learning process, mm -hmm. right? Initially, it was my confusion, and none of them are in technology or want to be in technology, right? And you know, here I am, a technologist, been around for a long time. I love, and everybody I, thinks, I, oh, I you want a job in technology? Like yeah. my son, he was. Yeah. In university, he took a computer science course. He's like getting eight. He got straight eight. Yeah. And he was learning stuff before that online. And yeah. I'm thinking, kid, you've got this. Like, just go into technology. Just. Right. And he's like, no, I don't want to. Yeah. Yeah. And so, what's he going to do? He don't know yet. I, but he's got a computer sciences background. No. Well, he's took one semester. Okay. Computer science. Got straight yeah, A's. Yeah. You know, you. That's. I, I've heard that story before. Right, where they think they're going to get into technology because they hear all these uh, stories around people going down to Google and getting a free car for the, you know, well, it, that's not what he was thinking. He just was yeah. interested in yeah. learning it. Yeah. And that's like he goes to school with the interest of learning. Yeah. Good. Well, uh, it's like any industry, um, there's a maturation process that's mm -hmm. going on, right? Uh, people, uh, people on all sides are maturing to what has to happen to make this a proper industry. It's like the car industry was in the early 1900s, right? Everybody was jumping in, the car, you know, cars that now have brand names were actually separate companies like Plymouth, mm -hmm. you know. Um, they were all separate companies producing different types of cars or car parts or whatever it was. They were all feeding into a huge excitement around cars, right? Yeah. Uh, and then it all matured and Ford took over and, you know, GM took over, what we now call GM took over and and, and car, car companies amalgamated and became this, that, and the other thing, right? And the same has, hap has happened, is, ha is happening right now in the tech sector. You know, I was saying, you know, at the beginning of my uh, career, I could go into pretty much any... Um, 
sub-industry of, you know, I could go into hardware, I could go into software application development, I could go into embedded uh, software, I can go into whatever, right? And I could probably find a job in those industries. And, yeah. and for a while I did that, right? Um, now, in my case, I decided, okay, I'm going to get into application software and I'm happy I stayed in because now it's an industry unto itself yes. and I have a really hard time staying on top of what's going on in that industry. Just that one alone. Never mind hardware or embedded technology or anything Everything's like that. changing yeah. so fast right. and it's like everyone has all these ideas mm -hmm. and you never know which one's going to be the next one, but everyone's looking to be a part of the next thing. Yeah. Like before, when you're talking about cars, you know, yeah, there was all these different types of innovations, right? But we weren't all having to keep up to date with how things were changing in order to live our lives, in order to be successful. You know, a car yeah. would just evolve, and well, no, we had horse and buggies. We no, well, yes, they had horse and buggies and horses yeah. before that, right? So there was a period, whenever that was, um, where there was less cars on the road than horse and buggies, mm -hmm. right? And so um, everybody, you know, the infrastructure, the, the watering holes for the, the horses, the hitch up posts for the for the, the buggies or whatever, right? They were it was all there, right? And yeah. then when cars started taking over, they needed to put in roads, they needed gas stations, they needed uh, petroleum products to you know, so they needed to mine that you know, in Texas and other places, and and then process and bring it into uh, a distribution channel, right? And horse and buggy posts went away, and and all of the people who were making you know wheels or whatever it was for the horse and buggies disappeared, right? So um, that's the same hat thing happening that's in the tech tech sector right now. There are Lots of people who are exploring ideas on what they can do. Mm -hmm. um, young, old, it doesn't really matter the age. It's more around the idea, which mm -hmm. is the right, right way. It should be that way. And uh, they're exploring ideas and they're testing the boundaries of what people will accept or not accept. And they're learning from that process. And um, going back to you know people like your son here going to school, they go into tech sectors with the perception of something. They realize very, very quickly that that's not what it, it's all about, right? Mm -hmm. And that it is an industry and they're gonna have to compete for the job at Google or you know uh, uh, Amazon or whoever, right? And they're gonna be up against all these other people who are going through the through the program and decide, okay, maybe that's not what I want to do, or you know, my life is in whatever, and yeah. something else is not in tech, right? And so uh, it's great, it's valuable that they go through that process. Uh, I really believe that. I believe we anybody. All, I go we all go it. through that process. Yeah, I, everybody goes through that process, young or old. I still go through that process, right? Uh, we're doing a lot of work right now. Well, that, well, that's why I started the new business, right? The new business, the new company is all focused on a whole different platform. You know, I don't have to go raise money initially mm -hmm. for it, right? Eventually I will. But uh, my goal is to get a handful of clients uh, testing this thing, which hopefully we'll do this year. Not hopefully, we will do this year. <laughs> um, but I'm not in a, I'm not in a su super big rush. You know, I'm not under financial pressure. To, right. well, I'm under financial pressure, but not as much as somebody who's just starting a business with no, uh, no, no cash flow. Right. So I, I've got the benefit of having the cash flow from the first company. Now, how long I'm going to do that? It's a whole different issue, right? But um, if this second company goes, then that's great. You mm -hmm. know, I've I've got problems. I've got problems, but they're good problems. You know, how to staff it up and and yeah. you know get it in the new markets and whatever. Right. But that, that's a testing process, and, mm -hmm. and, and I'm okay with that. And I've done that before and failed, and, and I'm moving on, and I'm trying something different, and we'll see where it goes, right? It's exciting when you think about where you're at right now and where you can be because mm -hmm. it's, it's a dream right now. Like right now, it's, the, it's wide open. Mm -hmm. Anything can happen. Yes. It's when you start concreting those steps that everything is now 
Well, it, it, no. yeah, everything is wide open. That's an interesting statement because there are a lot of people out there who don't like wide open perspectives like that, a wide open landscape. Mm -hmm. They want to have a path or they want to have a known, uh, at least a direction, <laughs> if nothing else, right? You're going this direction. Okay, fine, I can handle that. Not everybody can handle that. And I've noticed that, you know, when you're starting a business, it doesn't matter the industry, right? Um, one has to be extremely adaptable, mm -hmm. um, as you well know. Adaptation is, in my view, one of the prerequisites, not only starting a business, but life, if you're gonna really enjoy life, right? Um, and so it's something I try and teach to, well, not only my kids, but you know anybody. I do mentoring uh, in the technology sector. It, they, they come in in all ages. They're all trying to start a tech business, right? Mm -hmm. um, but that, that's not entirely true. They're trying to start a business where they realize technology is an integral part of what they're doing. Right. So one of the things I try and teach them is, you know, like if you're going to get into business, I've been doing this a long time. So if you're going to get into business, it doesn't matter what you're doing. You got to be adaptable. Every morning you got to figure out, okay, what's what's what are these guys, my competitors on the left doing, right? And what are my clients on the right here doing here? And mm -hmm. how can I bridge that gap, right? And that requires that requires a constant review of yourself. You're knowing your strengths and weaknesses, but also the marketplace in the same way. And uh, not everybody can do that, right? So. Because you've got choices. Like, this isn't like a career path where if you do A, B, C, you get D. Right. You're yeah, waking yeah. up and yeah. it's like, okay, so I can either try this, try yeah. A, try B, try C, and I don't know what's going to happen. Yeah, or you can try A, B, and C. Right. So. And maybe something will work. Yeah. Like, exactly. there's no guarantee. Well, I know there's no guarantees for anyone in life, but there's even less guarantees when it's wide open. Yeah, exactly. Because yeah. you're in uncharted space. Yeah, Space. right, and you have to be adaptable and resilient to be able to push your way through. Um, you know, the amount of failures I've had is <laughs> way more than the amount of successes. Uh, let's just put it that way. It's been, uh, you know, I've learned a lot from that process. Unfortunately, the failures, I, because I've learned a lot, my failures are getting less and less, but mm -hmm. I still have more failures and successes, right? And, and that's fine, you know, I'm okay with that. What's well, what you learn along the way. And I would say, well, I'm gonna screw everything up once. You can train me to do the job, but I'm going to screw everything up once. Right. That's what it's going to take for me to learn. Right. Yeah, exactly. Other people, you can tell them, well, you got to do this, 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 and they will do this, this, this. Yeah. But that's all that they will do. Yes. Hello, it's Shannon again. You know, I hope you enjoyed meeting Tim and learning about the progression of communication and technology over the last three decades. You know, when I... Think about how technology has changed the way we live. It has changed at such a rapid speed and it's only getting faster. I feel like, you know, I feel like I was born in the dark ages and we've evolved in 46 short years to enlightened age because the way we consume media and access information has changed so much and on such a massive scale. Everything is just at your fingertips. When we look back uh, in, pa in the past to all the different revolutions and innovations that have happened to change the way people live, you know, it wasn't on such a global scale per permeating every group of humanity like it does today. I mean, everyone has access to technology, no matter where you are. And in a lot of places uh, where they were considered uh, technologically backwards, they actually 
were able to not only catch up, they were able to save money, headaches, time by starting with the most current technology available and going right from no telephones to 4G. So, you know, the way, how much the world is changing, how fast technology is changing everything on a global scale is different than it was in the past. I mean, things changed. All you have to do is uh, you take the first information age, the Renaissance, uh, when Gutenberg's printing press spread information to the masses. You know, this was like 15, I think 1500s. Um, at that time, you know, the masses were basically one, the one percenters because the only people who could read the printed word were nobility and those who could afford to be educated. The rest, what we would consider the masses, stayed ignorant unless someone who could read showed up to read it to them. I mean, information moved from one society to the other more rapidly than it had in the past, but it was still at a staggering slow pace when you compare it to today. Well, heck, 10 years ago, it was staggeringly slow than what you compare it to today. Uh, another period in history which changed the way younger generations lived compared to their parents and grandparents was the Industrial Revolution. This is probably you know the biggest change in history uh, that hasn't even stopped. We're you know it's just been one revolution after the other since the mid 1700s. The big one, though, the Industrial Revolution that disrupted uh, generations and the way they, they lived would have been the first Industrial Revolution where people had to leave their agricultural childhood for life in factories in urban centers. And it was not always a better way of living. Uh, if stories about the working conditions in contemporary Chinese factories over the last 20 years are to be believed, uh, their industrial revolution has disrupted a whole generation's way of life and not always for the better um, if the stories of suicide and depression that uh, seem to seep their way out of China into Western propaganda can be trusted. You know, then there was the transportation revolution and thanks to the innovation of the steam engine, um, which led to trains and the railway, it enabled people to move around the globe quicker and with more ease. The time it took to roll out the track around the globe took time, uh, longer than it takes to roll out a new technology today. But as it did, it changed how people lived. So they no longer had to live within walking distance to their place of work. They could move out of the crowded cities and into affordable smaller towns. When I was in London, I noticed how easy it was to get around due to the train system there. The, their public transportation is so efficient, especially compared to Vancouver. Um, then again, Vancouver doesn't have much of a transportation system compared to other cities. The thing uh, which surprised me was how, you know, like when I went there, I was expecting things to be much older. I was really surprised at how much younger their infrastructure was than I thought it would be. 
And this is because most of London, I mean, it burnt down in the six, a lot of it burnt down in the 1600s. And there are some pieces there that are thousand years old um, and older when you got some Roman ruins that you can see there. However, the the bulk of the what we consider the older um, architecture and structures were built during the time of Queen Victoria. And most of it, uh, at least most of it, and this was during the transportation revolution. So trains were a major part of the infrastructure being put into place. Um, here in Vancouver, most of the city surrounding areas were built up over the past hundred years. And that's when cars were changing how we got from point A to point B. Um, so we kind of jumped over the train um, innovation and went from horse and buggy to car-based transportation uh, or infrastructure. We do have some train because, of course, we did have the railway that came, was built right across Canada uh, with lots of horrible um, labor stories and uh, suffering. And it did uh, combine us as a country. But compared to even south of us, uh, you know, Western Canada especially does not have the passenger train system that would make life a lot easier for commuters. So now we're at the start of the fourth industrial revolution where uh, technology is turning everything into smarter versions of itself. Soon our cars, homes, and workplaces will run us instead of us running them. Um, things these things will automatically adjust to our needs without us needing to do anything cars will pick us up and take us where we want to go and we can sleep along the way because there won't be a steering wheel technology will tell will basically tell us where we need to be and they'll have everything arranged to get us there and everything prepared for us when we get there we won't even know what we want or need it'll just be presented to us you know how children born today will live in 40 years from now will be alien to how we live today. I mean, when I think about my grandparents, um, you know, my grandparent, my dad's parents were born in 1908, 1912, and my mom's parents were born in 19. Well, my grandmother 1926, my grandfather 19 around 1912. Um, but basically, you know, the life that they had as children is foreign to the life that they led at the end of their lives. Um, even my dad's parents who passed away in 1990, 1991, you know, the life that they were living was very, was different than the life that they were living as children, but not drastically so. The life that my grandma, my mom's mom, who just passed away at 95 a uh, couple Christmases ago, her life, what she was experiencing and witnessing as conveniences in her life was 
night and day compared to the life that she had. You know, when she was a young woman, late teens, she found her dad, uh, you know, he's her, they grew up in Northern BC and he was a farmer and she went to go find him one day cause he was late getting home and you know, he didn't have a tractor. He had horse, horses and plow. And when he was hooch, hooking the horses up to the plow, one kicked him in the head and that was it. So, you know, I mean, that was the 1940s. Um, so her life, you know, one room schoolhouses and walking long distances. I mean, yes, they, they had vehicles at that time that would take them, but they were rare, you know, where she was. So her life was very different from when she was a child to when she became, um, to the, at the end of her life. I know a lot about my, you know, my dad's, you know, my grandparents and their, their lives and how they lived when they were younger and how they lived when they were older. And it's so different, vastly different from the beginning to the end. And when you're a child, you don't think of what the future is going to hold. You know, yeah, we watch the Jetsons. We're like, oh, that would be cool. And Star Wars and Star Trek and all those, you know, Buck Rogers. and You know, but we didn't really, I mean, maybe some of us thought that that would be real. But for the most part, you know, you just thought, oh, well, that's kind of cool. You know, I am, but technology has actually surpassed a lot of the Star Trek that we watched as kids. And though we aren't beaming from one place to another, we are talking in to devices on our hand, handheld devices to talk to each other. Um, and those handheld devices can do way more than anything that Star Trek had imagined in the 70s. You know, when I was a kid, we only had two channels on TV, plus one that came in if the antenna was just right and the only time there were kids programming was after school saturday mornings and sunday nights disney movie night it was only an hour long you know there wasn't 24 hour on-demand shows we watched things like sesame street uh, mr dress up friendly giant the flintstones um the Jetsons, you know, we didn't have branded merchandise and toys that we would go out and play, go out and get. I mean, some things were GI Joes, uh, but it's not like it is today where whole franchises are built up around one brand. I, my daughter, when she was little, you know, for a kid that's half legally blind, we would walk into a Walmart and soon as we walk into a Walmart, she would go, I don't have that Dora thing. And she would point because she could see it up on the top, top shelf over somewhere. I don't know how in the world she saw it, but it would be like, I don't have that Dora thing. And we would get close to it. And sure enough, she did not have that Dora thing. And she wanted that Dora thing. She watched her on TV. She played with the Dora toys. Every Christmas and birthday was Dora, Dora, Dora. For... 
quite a few years. She even had the Dora haircut. People called her Dora. And now I watch my nephew and he's four and for him it's all Pet Patrol. And every Christmas and birthday I'm buying him something in Pet Patrol because he's he loves it. And there's the Pet Patrol kids show that just came through Vancouver. And, you know, these things weren't there when I was a kid. But society didn't value childhood the same way that they do now. Childhood wasn't a commodity. It wasn't something to be mar marketed to. It wasn't a merchandising opportunity. Um, I mean, I guess that changed with the Happy Meal, which really... I was a teenager by the time the Happy Meal came out. So, you know, marketing to kids was a brand new concept uh, in my life. It was a, a big switch and a big pivot point for uh, how companies marketed and how families allotted their um, cash and what they purchased. Definitely a different way. I mean... We looked, I mean, we only had one aisle when we went to department stores to see toys. Like we go to the Bay, or I don't think the Bay even had toys. It was like Zeller's had an aisle, Kmart had an aisle. And if we were good, we got to go to the toy, the toy aisle at the end. And that was just to see toys. We weren't allowed to buy anything. Um, but we look forward to getting the Sears Christmas catalog to circle the toys that we would only see on TV commercials. And I would sit there and I would like, I want this and I want that and I want this. And so when my kids were little, I was like, great, I got this. I made a point of driving to Sears to get the Christmas catalog. And I got one each for them so they didn't have to share. And I took it home and I thought, oh my goodness, these kids are just going to love this. We're going to have so much fun circling things that they want for Christmas. Yeah, not so much. They couldn't have cared less. Because for them, you know, Walmart had aisles of toys. And they already pretty much knew everything that they wanted. And looking at a picture of it in a catalog wasn't any fun. Because it was much more fun to go to Walmart and hang out in the aisle and look at the stuff and and there were so many toys to choose from in in walmart or go to toys r us that was the big one go to toys r us you had, you had a big superstore filled with toys that you could touch and play with and that was more fun than the christmas catalog now to keep them i mean you go to a toy store and think that you're gonna go broke when you walk out i mean i, I was really great my kids were really great because we'd go to the toy store and they go, I want this, and I want this, and I want this. And I look at them, and I go, okay, just put it on the list. Put it on the list. And that was enough for them to go to the next thing that they would want. And before they were done, they had this huge list that was never written down and was totally forgotten about by the time we got home. But it gave me an idea what to give them for Christmas and their birthdays. And it just didn't make the Sears catalog any fun. But... You know, when I was a kid, Amazon didn't exist. And it was not the massive retailer it is today when my kids were young. If we wanted to buy anything, yeah, we had to go to the store, you know, like Toys R Us. And for my mom and my grandmother, there was no stores. There was no department stores with an aisle. For my mom, there was, you know, going shopping was a big trip because you had to leave. And for us, it was a 20-minute 
or 30 minute drive to the next town over for her it would have been an hour or more um probably more actually because they, they really were isolated but you know when i think about her my dad's and my grandparents they didn't have stores to go there weren't store aisles of toys and stuff um so if they wanted it to see any toys it was the sears catalog and you know um for my kids like i said it was walmart or toys r us so if anything uh today's toddlers like my nephew have their toys bought the same way that my grandmother's bought theirs by looking at a picture ordering it and having it shipped to them the difference is one used a paper method the sears catalog and my nephew looks on a computer plus he can order on his own actually uh plus today the you know the package arrives a lot quicker than than during sears time um amazon is much you know they solve the logistics issue that sears never even tried to um and the biggest difference is the amount of options and cho choices that are being marketed to kids due to the due to the lower, lower barrier of entry um, thanks to technology but it's also because i think more because the millennials uh, when they were kids their parents started buying them the branded items and then when the x generation became parents we really um started buying the branded items that were around the tv shows and books that we were reading our kids yeah um you know over time throughout history there's always been inventions but it was it's the inventions like the compass paper currency steel antibiotics electricity the telephone the shortwave radio that have rapidly changed how people live their lives i want you to take some time to think about how innovation has changed the way you live your life and which in which inventions came and went things like the cds uh cassette tapes uh things which you know which items came and became a staple of our lives television uh microwaves what do you miss about your childhood how is your childhood different from your parents or your grandparents or your kids childhoods or your grandkids childhoods what innovations are being discussed in the media and how are they going to change the way we live is there a problem in how things are done in your workplace or in your life which can be proved upon with innovation and can you invent the solution you know things change rapidly and that means jobs change rapidly if you look at even the future of work uh we've gone from a get a job and you're in that job for your life to you're in that job for 20 years to yeah there is no job it's a gig economy and you're constantly looking for work so what's the future going to behold what's the future going to look like and if you're like me and your children are 20 or younger in the early 20s or younger and you're thinking 
you know, how can they figure out what they want to be? Um, what kind of education should they be getting? You know, it's almost an impossible task at the moment trying to figure out, okay, you know, what school should you be going to? What education should you be, should you be getting? Should you be getting work experience? Are there, you know, there's all these programs that include work experience and should you, you know, go and get a certificate in this and then see if you like it and then get another certificate, another certificate, and then you can start working on your degree as you're getting, working in the industry. Do you need a degree to get a job nowadays? Like when I started having a degree was, was the minimum requirement for a job as an assistant. Um, you know, it, I can't say that having a degree opened up doors for me that wouldn't have been there had I just gone and done the work and gotten the experience. Um, you know, I don't want my kids to waste time. Well, not time. Learning isn't a waste of time. I want them to learn, go and learn what they want to learn, but I don't want them coming out with this huge debt and no ability to work and no ability to find a job. So what's the idea? What's, what's the solution? Is there a solution? Is there a solution to, is there a way to innovate education and how people are to be educated and trained in order to get a job or figure out the future of work or, or be marketable for the rest of their lives, considering how fast things are changing? Uh, these are all questions that you can think about today. Um, and I want to hear what you have to think, what you have to say and what you think. So, you know, get onto social media, use the hashtag unpeeled. Let me know what you think of this uh, podcast and your thoughts about how fast the way that we're living has changed and how we communicate and how technology has changed everything that we that we do. This is Shannon Peel. Thank you so much for joining us today on Unpeeled. We want to hear from you, so log into that social media account, use the hashtag Unpeeled, and let us know your thoughts about today's podcast. <laughs>